1: Ben Blackwell, I work here at Third Man Records in Nashville, Tennessee. My business card tells me that I am a psychedelic stooge. In addition to working at Third Man Records and playing drums in the Dirt Bombs and running my own label Cast Records and working as official archivist for the White Stripes, I've also been known to collect
2: records. Man, what's that? This is a blast.
1: <laughs> you sure I'm not gonna die? <laughs> I, I mean, not, not I mean. from my hand. <laughs> I'm not afraid of death, by the way. It's really, really great working for Jack because in this world, he knows exactly what he wants. Johnson never saw his day There's always something for him to kind of look over and, and say, "Hey, what do you think of this?" or "Let's do, let's do this," or whatever.
2: Lamar Taylor
0: had to rev a Yeah, yeah, it's pretty warm out here. What do you say to that, there, Jasper? Well, I have many things to say about the warm day. Why don't you start with one of them, Jasper? You've got it, Reginald. No. (laughs) Reginald. It's It's Reginald. Clasper. I'll call you Clasper. (laughs) I'll start with one of them then, Clasper. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hot that the sun's out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. guns out. yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think they're doing over there on the McKinley property, there Jasper? I've been hearing some noises uh, from uh, from our neighbors to the east. Probably up to no good, I bet. Do you, might you reckon it? Never liked those Easterners Yeah. You think they're making a murder over there? I've never watched that show, but I would assume it's a yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I much prefer cereal. Yeah. You know, I remember when all of this was trees. Now, I have to say, class, but Uh this is by far one of the worst conversations we have ever had. (laughs) Mr. Blackwell will be proud of what we did here today. Welcome to the Third Men podcast. My name is Paul Kaminsky. (laughs) My name is James Kaminsky, your other co host. And boy, am I just waiting with bated breath as to what Paul will do with that (laughs) intro. (laughs) (laughs) We're a Jack White History podcast. Where we go over Jack White music and movies and television appearances and all that good stuff. And then sometimes, James, lightning strikes Mm. in the form of a very special guest. And I don't think the special guest could get much more specialer than this special guest, James. I mean, it could get incrementally more special from here, but not by much. Yeah. Yeah. No, we could make this more special, Paul, is what you're trying to say, I think. Yeah. No, we have had the pleasure to interview someone we've been looking forward to talking to since the inception of this podcast. Someone who we didn't believe would ever want to talk to two books <laughs> from New Jersey. Yeah. The idea that this person took an hour and a half out of his day to talk to us and explain to us things about the inner workings of third man records is frankly beyond me but james without further ado i think we should just go ahead and tell the people that today we are proud to present an extended interview with third man records co-founder ben blackwell Woo! we did it yeah we did the fanfare we're very very excited about this Ben is a dirt bomb, he's a solo artist, musician, drummer, multi-instrumentalist, a brick house, uh, mighty, mighty, mighty mighty, he's <laughs> letting it all uh, black well, no, didn't work. nope. Nope. We'll, we'll workshop it. The nephew of Jack White. And so, I mean, you don't get much closer than that. So we are just thrilled that Ben took the time and amazed, frankly. And I want to just quickly say a special thank you to the good folks in the uh, vault chat. Asked Ben about our podcast when it was revealed in that vault chat that Ben had not only listened to our show, but was wondering why we never asked him to come on. And the answer to that is very simple. We never thought he would say yes. Yeah, it it was... (laughs) It was pretty much a case of, oh, you've heard of us? Like, our reputation should not have preceded us. Also a shout out to Joe Lalich, who (laughs) texted me as soon as they started talking about our show in the vault chat with Ben Blackwell. We feel very fortunate that we got to do this and to get the inside scoop on the world of third man records. And I think, James, we're still flabbergasted by it and overjoyed. And Ben was amazing. Ben was so great to talk to and, like, recorded his audio perfectly, like, for some reason. Like, he did everything. It, well, yeah. He's an audio professional, Paul. He runs a record company. <laughs> well, I get that. But I, I understand. My guest has never been more flabbergasted. Yeah. James is just flabbered all over the place over there. <laughs> Look day. at all this flab. It's just <laughs> so much to get to here. We're not going to keep you from this interview very long because why would we? But before we get, James, to all of that. Ooh, is there something we should start smelling? James, you got it in one. Oh, oh,
2: oh, 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 oh. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most
1: astounding fact is the
0: knowledge. <laughs> to tell the people what I think I smell a fact is. I would love to, Paul. I think I smell a fact is the section of the show in which uh, we, the hosts, hear from you, the listeners, and we learn some fun new facts about a previous topic that we'd gone over and uh, we, instead of redoing or re-editing an episode and and re-uploading it and (laughs) clogging your feed, we we put it in uh, this little segment here that I'm over-explaining. Yes, you are. So that you can listen to it. Yeah, we really love it love it when you put us in our place like (laughs) bad (laughs) boys we have a lot to get to here so I'm just going to kind of run through these firstly we have a a lovely message we received from Luke Sinclair Uh, Luke has been listening to our show from the beginning and sent us a lovely message with a lot of little facts here that uh, are pretty cool and uh, you know we really appreciate luke listening you know we give shout outs at the end of the show to regular listeners but of course if you don't uh, interact with us online we don't know that you're a regular listener so people like luke here it's really cool to know that he's been sort of with us since since episode one and it's really awesome to interact with him but the thing that caught my attention most james is his facts about denver colorado ah the sunshine state yeah the sunshine state that's the, the <laughs> one and the same the sunshine state <laughs> this isn't really a smell of fact but luke evidently was at the video shoot for the would you fight for my love video in denver which is funny because we just talked about that video in either last episode or the episode prior when Teresa horn had asked us if she knew what jack was referring to when he said something in denver about going to meet him at a hotel after the show and anyway evidently this place in denver is where um, jack shot that video and luke was there for the shoot yeah that's amazing and i really want to know more so luke If you have a story that you'd like to tell, let us know. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, He goes on to mention a little more about Jack's connections to Denver, where Jack evidently got the shirt from the elephant cover in Denver from a Western wear company called Rockmount, established there in 1946, and they actually invented the Western shirt by being the first to put pearl snaps on a shirt. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. so that's pretty neat. Jack has several of their shirts as well as the, the Rack and Tours. Apparently Brandon Benson wore one in promo shots from two thousand six. Thank you so much, Luke, for writing in with those interesting facts for us to smell, and we will be happy to explore more of those and hopefully talk to you more in the future. Yeah. Thank you again, Luke. We also have one here from Callie Durga, our third woman in spirit every week. She gives us a little more context on the old Mary <laughs> explanation, so our last episode the Dead Weather Sea of Cowards analysis and review we discussed the song Old Mary which is this weird little dirgy number from the uh, end of the album the song that closes the record and it is very obviously a reference to Hail Mary the uh, Catholic prayer Mm -hmm. Uh, but what we didn't know, which Callie points out, is that she is recalling that someone at the time revealed that Old Mary Full of Grease was taken from an old kid's song along the lines of Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, except for more like Catholic. So she did a search and couldn't find the actual vault conversation, but she goes on to say, Jack explained that Old Mary's inception was him testing the sound level of a mic, and he began rattling that off for the mic test, which... Makes the idea of it being an old Catholic schoolboy song kind of make sense. And apparently Allison's response in the control room was to begin screaming and beating on the window in excitement and said, Yeah, play that again. <laughs> and so that's how it kind of became a song. Hey awesome that's really cool i love that yeah even if that's only rumor which i have no reason to believe it's not uh, it's still a, an amazing story and it lends a lot of uh fun to a song that had a lot of mystery to it before we did the episode lyle hopwood jumps in here to add that james joyce hinted at a similar parody in finnegan's wake in that one it said hail mary full of grease the lard is with the and lyle has heard kids parody the hail mary in similar words and found several of them on the internet so i think that's This is probably pretty plausible as an explanation. Real cool stuff. Thank you guys, as always, for finding some stuff that we never find. Yes, indeed. Just two more, real quick ones from uh, Callie here. The Invisible Man line, where Jack says, I'm a broke down engine, is straight from Blind Willie McTell's Broke Down Engine
2: Blues. Oh, that's cool. Be like a broke down engine. Mama ain't got no driving wheel. Lord, how much? Feel like a broke down and mama. Ain't got no driving wheel. You've been down and lonely. You know just how well it Mack tells me.
0: lastly kelly says gasoline's not about sex it's allison's homage to muscle cars which uh you know i think it may be a little bit of both
2: it can be two things
0: but sure yeah i mean it's a double entendre yeah muscle cars sure i'd believe it uh so when i reflect on that fact. All right, James. What do you say we jump into this interview here? I would love to jump into this interview, Paul. I'm very excited about it. Let's do it. Okay, our talk with Ben Blackwell. Here it is. Da. <laughs> We would like to welcome maybe our specialist guest yet, Mr. Ben Blackwell. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's lovely to digitally be conjoined with you two. (laughs) Digital conjunction is uh, what we strive for, what we live for, and is what we're bound to. I feel closer to you than I think any of us have ever felt before. (laughs) And I think that's just because your dulcet tones are now gracing our ears. Uh, How are you? I'm doing quite well, quite well today. Fantastic. So anyway, we'll just sort of jump right in here. And for anyone who doesn't know, you're Jack White's nephew, and you were one of the co-founders of Third Man Records, and you've also been involved both musically and spiritually on this journey with Jack all these many years. And one of the things we touched on on and off throughout the podcast is this idea that, you know, Jack is not the only musical one in his family. There's all this other stuff. So where did you start to gravitate first with music? What instruments did you gravitate to first? Tell us a little bit about how music took shape as a, a lifelong pursuit for you.
1: I mean, it was actually all Jack, you know, to be perfectly honest. I was never really, you know, I didn't really notice any instrumentation or Um, important kind of instrumentation that would take hold in my own household but growing up Mm -hmm. I was exposed to much more through him and so he's only seven years older than me so it's kind of like a a brotherly connection than uncle nephew Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways so I kind of served as and he's the youngest of 10 kids so he didn't have any little brothers to sure to, you know, pass down yeah. his knowledge to, I was kind of there to receive that. So it's like, you know, he had a drum set set up in his bedroom and he would show me, you know, here's how you play a drum set. Here's the names of all the drums, things like that. Right. And right. Uh, it took slowly, maybe like six or seven years old, kind of goofing around on drums like that, and then not until maybe I was 12 or 13, wow. like actually properly taking that uh, that challenge. You know, I'm going to sit down and here's a drum kit that I'll keep at my house and you know he let me borrow his snare drum stand and his snare drum too because i didn't have i didn't have my own snare kind of thing and so just kind of you know right. in in that big brotherly way if some someone just needs to guide you and someone needs to to hand you the tools and and you find your own path um, <laughs> so early on that was a, it was a lot of that it was just providing me with <laughs> guidance and insight and in letting me figure out what i wanted to do you know jam with my friends at uh you know back home kind of thing
0: right yeah and it certainly seemed that having places you know like the garden bowl and the and the gold dollar and all those you were right in the sort of center of this boom that was happening in addition to jack there was some other figures that may have helped guide you into that so timing is super important a lot in some of these early career decisions and so i think your timing worked out well <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i was ex- i was extremely fortunate just in regards to you know i have an older brother who is only i think 4 years younger than jack mm-hmm. And those two were kind of like, they're too close in age to actually kind of have that relationship. Uh, But for me, being seven years younger, it was, you know, I turned 16 and had a license at just the right time. You know, I turned 16 in 98, so it's right after the first White Stripes record comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I have the, the resultant freedom attached to that. It lined up. You know, I couldn't, you couldn't have really timed it much better, you know, in terms of I remember for a while when the White Stripes were predominantly playing at the gold dollar. Jack couldn't get me into the gold dollar or, or just said there's he said, the place is so small, there's nowhere I can hide you. <laughs> He said, that, "Like there's like it's just one room. Like as soon as you're in there, everyone sees you. And so it was probably I think you know their first show was Bastille Day '97, and I didn't get to the Gold Dollar I think until a year later. Wow. So um, it was like a year of me kind of bugging him. Can I go? Can I get in? Right. Um, actually, it wasn't a year later. It was uh, it was May." of 98 when they played with Queen Bee and Dura Delinquent Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was like 10 months or whatever but I just remember that being like a for me a transformative moment of seeing them really hitting their stride as a band The White Stripes at the gold dollar and me being at that point I was 15 (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so sneaking into this bar which is you know it's right in the middle of all the drug dealers and prostitutes and crime of Detroit and <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure there's a there's a there's a fair amount of unsavory things happening in that building alone and I'm sitting there like uh, I think I'd just gotten my braces off that year. Um, oh, man. <laughs> like, really, to put it in context, that was sophomore year. I had Old Testament class the next day, so that was uh, that was really important. Um, real, real contrast with how things work.
0: Yeah, braces would be a dead giveaway as to your age at a bar, I think. Looks like they snuck you in at just the right moment, too. You said you got a license at 16. At any point, were you a part of the caravan selling records out of the trunk? For the white stripes, yeah, I mean it was primarily you know the,
1: those early days. It was me and Jack and Meg. I had a '95 Kelly Green Ford Taurus that, for a time, was the most reliable vehicle between me and Jack and Meg. Jack had a van. Meg had a Ford Escort, I believe, or yeah, Escort. Mm-hmm. Um, that were you know kind of good for driving around the city, but you might not want to cross state lines with. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of traveling in that uh, in that Taurus. You know, Jack and Meg up front, me and the bass drum in the back, and then uh, everything else fit in the trunk. Wow! So that's comfortable, you know. That's that's <laughs> traveling in style. <laughs> nice.
2: Hello, uh, the West, I'm from Southwest Detroit. And we're very happy to see you very much. It's my little sister, Meg White on the drums, and we'll play a lot song for you that we learned the other day. Sounds like a weirdo.
0: things that you're known for is the historian right the uh, the record keeper for third man and there's a lot of mysteries that we have come across when either researching the show or working on an episode and you know it may just be a mystery simply because it, there's not a lot of documentation about it online so we're going to ha- there's going to be a couple mysteries questions that pop up here and the first one takes place in the time period we're talking about so the band catalyst i've read about had I guess Jack's brothers in it, and I think they were happening sort of around the time that Jack and Dominic were sort of playing as the fuck ups or something like that. Can you tell us anything about Catalyst? And are there any recordings of Catalyst floating around anywhere?
1: There's definitely recordings out there, and it shouldn't be too hard to find if if you guys know how to use Google. I'd imagine you could find it. <laughs> um, oh, I've Googled. Yeah, no, they're out there. There was like see, um, there was at least two CDs I think that came out considerably after the fact, but they they compiled a bunch of old recordings and put them together. So yeah, there's recordings out there, okay. It might even be worth looking on discogs because it wasn't like there was, yeah. There was a, uh, you know, it wasn't limited for limited sake. I think it's just you know there was a limited interest. Sure.
0: Other bands like that that involved uh, Jack's brothers? Because I I know that they were quite musical and some of that got passed along to him. Were there any other family bands or groups like that that were missing?
1: There may be. Nothing that I'm aware of, you know? Okay. Like that's all taking place primarily when I'm. Considerably young, right, like right. you know, that's that's all an '80s thing. And in my mind, I, I could not be. I, it's possible I'm not totally versed in the story, mm. but I'm am fairly certain that by the time I establish a memory, that that band kind of ceased to be operational.
0: Gotcha going into times when you were able to make a memory and also write it down uh, I've been reading your blogs and articles for a long long time very talented writer how long oh
1: god let's give, give me a date when 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 do you and I meet <laughs> digitally when do we cross paths 2007 2007 all right that's, that's early it's early enough yeah. you're not you're not the first adopter but you're not you're jo- not Johnny Come lately I'll take it
0: <laughs> okay okay yeah it picked up speed let's say around 2014 okay all that's to say is Always fantastic. I was reading through your Dirt Bombs tour blogs when we were researching for a Dirt Bombs special on the show, and specifically the Australian tour, which was hilarious and insightful. Do you have any fun Dirt Bombs tour memories that maybe didn't make the blog?
1: Australia was always really, really... It, it, you know, if you've never been there, it's great to be able to travel so far, and speak in the native language, mm-hmm. uh, so actually have conversations with people is, is is something that was not lost on me. Um, the first trip to Australia, we kind of did you know the stereotypical things. We hung out with koala bears and <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, uh, went to the zoo. But I'm trying to think of you know I can't even remember. So all those tour diaries were written as part of my college newspaper. I was dispatching those back. I guess I was emailing them to the editor at the Wayne State South End. And so those diaries are definitely much more like, it's not like a blow blah blow account of what happened. It's more like I'm trying to be entertaining and, and convey a sense of time and place.
0: Oh, it was. The stories about Jim Diamond alone were fantastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, there's the one thing, I don't know if I mentioned those tour diaries, but in that first trip to Australia, we basically only really played, we stayed in like two different cities. We stayed in Melbourne and we stayed in Sydney and we stayed in each city for like three or four, maybe even like five days. And we were opening for this band, UMI, and you'd play like one or two big shows in the city. And then you'd have these shows that you'd play like in suburbs that were like an hour and a half, two hours away. And so after you're done playing the show, you just roll back. We weren't even staying in hotels. These were like extended stay apartments. And so I have a very fond memory of of spending an entire day. We had a day off, and our tour manager, it was a cricket test match. Mm -hmm. And our tour manager was like, all right, I'm going to tell you how cricket works. We're going to spend all day watching this, and I'm going to explain it all to you. And it's hot. There's no air conditioning. I'm probably not wearing a shirt. (laughs) And we just sat and watched it and it was it's one of my more fond memories of any time on tour of just anytime you don't have to do anything you get to stay in one spot is great Um, but learning that and kind of just all the cultural intricacies and rivalries that come with it i'm smiling just thinking about it so that was one of many fond memories you know for me records anytime you know we made a record we recorded a record direct to acetate Mm -hmm. on that trip Mm -hmm. um so that was pretty cool the same process. The White Stripes did a direct acetate recording when they played down there in 2000. Um, that has oh, never nice. come out. Wow. And so that is packaged safely here in the, the vault archives in Nashville and uh, maybe someday that'll see the light of day.
0: Nice. Good to nice. know. Uh, nice nice tease. Subtle tease. There. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your, your tour manager down there, was that John Baker?
1: No. You know, John Baker's a New Zealand guy okay. and he brought us down to New Zealand at least two or three times. Mm. And, uh, but he was more kind of promoter there. Uh, tour manager was a guy named Tim Carton oh, okay. uh, that first mm-hmm. go round in Australia and he rules. He's great.
0: Nice. Nice. We've talked to countless Dirt Bombs members throughout mm-hmm. uh, the show at this point. Well, we could count them, but yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've heard many stories about how, uh, notoriously hard on equipment and themselves Dirt Bombs members are. Have you ever experienced any fun drum malfunctions or injuries whilst playing in that band?
1: I split my head open once. Oh, my God. Uh, like, full-on bleeding everywhere. Jesus. That's probably... I co-split a, a finger open pretty bloody once. Yeah. Or she just had to leave. Like, we played the rest of the show without her.
0: She sent me pictures of her fingers with the stitches in them, and... Ugh, yeah. uh, gross. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty,
1: it's pretty grim. Um, I, for me, uh, we were playing the Black Cat in DC... And there was a pipe that ran directly over my drums and I was staring at it all night and just thinking, I'm gonna climb that <laughs> and so the end of the set comes the end of the set comes around where we're able to kind of you know spread our wings and uh, I jumped up and wrapped my legs around it and it was just the right height in comparison to my body shape where I was able to hang upside down and play my drums hanging upside down. <laughs> I, and I, I've climbed lots of pipes and lots of stages, and it's very rare to come across this. It might be one of only two times in my illustrious career this has ever been possible. <laughs> so I'm playing, I think this is the coolest looking thing, whatever, and I, I go to grab my ride symbol mm. and because I'm upside down, my senses are kind of off, so I, I, I grab with a lot of force. I use a lot of arm energy to grab this symbol and I kind of biff myself in the head. And I'm like, oh, wow, that was uh, was a lot lighter than I anticipated it to be. Yeah, The inversion is throwing me off or whatever. And so I just throw it on the ground and I keep on drumming. And then I notice, I'm like, what are all those red spots on my drums? <laughs> oh, no. And oh, I geez. realized, oh, f- <laughs> I cut my head open. <laughs> oh. And so I got down off the pipes and just walked off stage. And apparently no one else in the band saw this. And so they just looked and I am gone and my drums are covered in blood.
2: (laughs) So they're kind of freaking
1: out. And, uh, (laughs) And it was, you know, whatever. It's just, uh, I had to go get some stitches at the Howard, uh, Howard University Medical Center. But while I was doing that, it was kind of funny. I got to meet, for the first time, one of my musical uh, person that's inspired me a lot was was Stuart Lupton from the band Jonathan Fire Eater. Like, while I'm walking with all this blood pouring out of my head, he was there backstage. Jeez. I was like, hey, hey man, how, how's it going? <laughs> He's like, uh... Like, he was kind of spaced uh, by seeing me with all this blood on me.
2: If ever this motorcycle But um, wow.
1: <laughs> uh, that's you know it's a it's a great all around you know it was a great yeah. time all around. I had to get I had to get a tetanus shot because <laughs> the symbol is metal, and the doctors were like, "When's the last time you had a tetanus shot?" I was like, "Ah, oh, I don't think." And they're like, "We're just going to give you one to be sure."
0: <laughs> we got through it all, and of course, there's redundant instrumentation, so no one would notice right away. <laughs> Yeah, no. I could just see that moment of of Mick turning around and just like oh our drummers exploded. Cool. What's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> a perk if you got tetanus is you could create a new band called Ben and the Lockjaws or something. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, when did you first join up with Mick Collins and join the Dirt Bombs? Because you were really young to be splitting your head open like that.
1: <laughs> I, I think so that, that head split open happened when I was 21. Okay. And I joined the band when I was 17. Oh, man. So I joined, yeah, my senior year of high school, and that was probably October of 99, mm-hmm. give or take. Okay. Uh, maybe even November. The first show I played was in December. I've told the story thousands of times, but Mick called Jack, and he was looking f- He was looking for a new drummer, another drummer in the Dirt Bombs. Was the band lineup, for those who don't know, is two drummers. And so I, they had one, but they needed another at that point. And supposedly Mick was, was kind of hoping Jack would do it, <laughs> which in hindsight just seems funny. Yeah. Um, but I was at Jack's house when he got the call, and the phone just got handed to me, and it was Mick on the other line. And I was a huge Dirt Bombs fan at that point, point. and uh, we were just kind of making small talk. And I attribute my entry to the band is knowing that there was a song they had released at that point called "Theme from the Dirt Bombs," which was only it was on an import only seven inch uh, that was you know made in the Netherlands, and uh, it was a B side. It wasn't even the A side. And there's a little groove where Mick steals his vocal line from the Jackson Five, where he says, One, two, three, baby. Ooh, ooh, don't ray me, baby. Mm And I, I just said, I was like, man, theme from the Dirt bonds, I really love that spot you took from the Jackson 5. That's pretty clever. And it's like, wow, you're the first person to ever mention that. <laughs> uh, and that single beat out for, I don't know, maybe like a year, year and a half. Yeah. And like in the back of my mind at the time, I thought, that's probably good I said that. And like as the years have gone on now, 19 years ago now, I guess that to me seems like that's what got me in the band was like i I passed some some cosmic test (laughs) Um, it all worked out
0: seemed like a nice band to grow up in we talked to tom potter who had mentioned offhandedly that he may have taught you how to shave is there any truth to that
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's partial truth um okay (laughs) for me learning how to shave was literally at at home i found an old uh forgotten electric razor like just in a kit in a in a bathroom cupboard Mm -hmm. i was like okay, I guess i just use this. Like, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a... Yeah. Well, that stereotypical bonding moment between father and son did not happen. Okay. Um, not because my father and I did not bond. It was just, that just didn't happen for that, you know? Right. We yeah. bonded over baseball and other things.
0: And long story short, you shaved a baseball and it was awkward for everybody. <laughs> I shaved a baseball. No,
1: so we were in London and we had... I don't think I accounted for having to shave on this tour. Uh Like it was still just a nuisance to me. I'm, this is 2001. So I'm 19. this is like November, 2001. And we're about to go do our peel session. Wow. Play our peel session live. We didn't even record it. It was broadcast live worldwide. And there was an interview photo shoot with, I think it was bizarre magazine, B I Z A R R E. And so it was like, I kind of just have this like, not really stubble, but not really beard. Just kind of shitty in between, and uh, I'm like, I don't want to be like this in the photo shoot. And so Tom walked me through. I don't know if he walked me through it. Or he actually did it for me, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the shaving, so he had a you know he had a regular Bic razor or whatever, and he did it or helped guide me whatever it was. And it probably gave me more of a rash than actually <laughs> uh, trimming my face, which is a is uh, I think it's evident if I can find the photos I'll I'll look them up and and see to send your way but um you know what should have been a beautiful baby face was you know sure. the neck was definitely uh, a little razor burned um, but yeah, that was definitely a bonding moment I had with Potter. I'm glad that he he recalls and feels the same way. That's, that's really, really refreshing.
0: <laughs> now, Coe had mentioned that she had a van stolen with a drum kit of yours in the back of it. We understand there's not been any progress in the case since that point, but do you have any suspects or leads you're working on? <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> you know, I think there's a, a secret about that van so it was like an old, like hospital transport van or something like that. So yes. it was it was converted a little bit. It wasn't a conversion van, but the doors in the back were insanely unique in that you wouldn't really see them on the back of a of a regular you know old white van or whatever. Uh-huh. But there was a it was a Ford, and so the Ford logo badge on the back of that truck had a sticker over it that I think I can't remember if it said God. Or if it said fuck in the Ford logos or whatever, it said something else. Okay. And I that that had been my like, if I see it, <laughs> no, that like if you stole that car, you would you would, you know, you would just steal it. And oh, yeah, who's ever going to notice a, f- a regular old white van driving in downtown Detroit? Sure. So I looked, I, I never saw it there but i do know there was i had a drum set and our tour manager dorian had some weird creepy clown painting that had a nose that if you turned it the clown was actually a music box and (laughs) and later on pat pintano found that picture at a thrift store in detroit what so like in the van that had been stolen from us and at first it was like wow they must have made a ton of these if we found one in detroit and then it was like Wait a minute, they probably didn't this is probably the
0: same one. <laughs> oh man. Oh my
1: god. So but all that being said, you know, Co got paid uh insurance on that, so I don't think she's hurting. Uh you know. no, yeah, no. She, really. she
0: seems no, fine <laughs> no one really needs a van at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that was the true crime portion of the show, and uh let me just say we're not letting this die and we're gonna get to the bottom of this one. This is serial two. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Um, Good luck, fellas. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Of all the vehicles I've ever toured in, like of all the self-driven vehicles I've ever toured in, that was the most perfect. We had it so dialed in in that van. Uh. The loft was strong and sturdy enough where it wasn't dangerous. It, no one had to ride on the loft. Now, in Potter's van, which was like right before Co joined the band, we drove Potter's van, someone had to ride in the loft. There wasn't seats for five people. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of became all right, who's riding in the loft? And it's like, not me, not me. I rode last time. Um, But also at the time, we had this book called The Next Exit, which was just a listing of all the freeway exits in the United States and Canada, I believe. And you could say, okay, I'm going westbound on I-75, wherever, and exit 400. And it'd say, okay, there's a McDonald's there. And so we could figure out all of our I mean this is all before smartphones so having all that info is like whoa well there's a Denny's three exits up let's just say for let's just wait for that. Um there was a good stereo in there it was just like it felt perfect. When when that van got stolen it was just it just I know personally it bummed me out and not only because my drums were the only musical equipment left in when uh, no one wanted to load out that night. But
0: <laughs> so it goes. Jumping to 1999 on a different subject, you played drums briefly with Jack White and the Bricks. It looks like under the listings on Discogs, at least. God help me if that's wrong. I have no idea. But (laughs) what was it like to be in a band with Jack at that time? He was singing mostly proto-White Stripes material and covers, it seemed.
1: I definitely felt like the weak link amongst the band. I definitely felt that way. I was 17 at the time, and it's Jack, and it's Brendan Benson, and it's Kevin Pioch, and all guys I had utmost respect for mm-hmm. and uh I was surprised upon listening back when we prepped that Jack White and the Bricks on the Garden Bowl yeah. release for the vault. I was surprised at how bad it wasn't. <laughs> I, was I wouldn't say it was good, but I, I thought I would have sounded much worse. <laughs>
2: Somebody said hello to me But I didn't know what to do It doesn't matter close my words will get twisted So I'll bend my back Oh, I'll take a cup and be funny Cause I know there's nothing
1: I mean, I'd only really been playing drums for maybe like three years at that point. Never any mm. formal training or anything. Just picking up catch-as-catch-can. I mean, it was super informal. It never really felt like... I, I, don't, I never felt like it was the band. You know, like we were hanging out. I kind of felt like... Jack had this surplus of energy and music and desire to go and do things and we were just helping him get through that surplus okay. um it didn't feel like collaborative in that regard it was just like hey man this guy's got to be f- playing shows you know people <laughs> people keep on asking us to do asking him to do stuff that the white strips can't do or whatever like it was it was you know the span of just beyond a summer, you know, it was mm-hmm. that long, maybe lasted for six months yeah. um, and maybe a half dozen shows. It was not terribly involved, but okay. kind of cool in, in hindsight that, you know, we actually have recordings of two of these shows. And uh, I don't know if anyone's really noticed or not, but there's no actual pictures of the band. The Garden Bowl show was just the back cover art is just a compilation of photos that co had taken of each of the band members around that time okay and then the the gold dollar photo is actually a totally different band that just happened to be me and jack on stage so it was quote close enough you know
2: okay and now
0: That explains that. I mean, because, like, Two Star Tabernacle seems like the logical progression of Goober and the Peas in a lot of ways, and the Go seems like Jack sort of joining this other collective that had already preexisted, and the White Stripes was obviously his Michelangelo he was sculpting off in the corner there, but that makes sense. Okay, so the Bricks was more like Jack playing with his friends and, you know, having fun. It, it sounds like that was the fun the fun group <laughs> for that period of time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of almost thought of it as, if you look back on it, a lot of those songs are holdovers from Two Star. Like, Two Star goes to, to the bricks, goes to white blood cells, is, is a common path okay. on a lot of those songs. And for me, it seemed like it was just material that Jack knew was good, but my interpretation was Meg wasn't ready or wasn't able to really tackle those songs on drums yet, mm-hmm. sure um, for whatever reason and that might that might just be totally biased on my end. I probably wasn't that much closer to being able to play them mm-hmm. myself. but I did play you know I did play one show uh, I played drums for two star for one show, so I did have that little bit of
0: you know uh, preparation. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to another major accomplishment in your career, which is Cass Records. When you founded that, what were you looking to for inspiration there? I mean, obviously, Jack was very savvy with his songs. And, you know, we'll get to the formation of Third Man Records later. But uh, with Cass, what was some of your mission statement? What was some of your inspiration when founding there?
1: I think my original intent was just at that point, and this is end of 2002, beginning of 2003, I was being given or turned on to lots of recordings by people that i really really liked that were not being released Hmm. like Mm -hmm. short and simple that was it my friends the guys in the mooney suzuki had given me this this cdr of a bunch of stuff they had laying around and i could not believe that no one had put that out i mean they they were putting out records on real record labels and it seemed like why is this not a thing and they certainly undoubtedly you know threw me a bone by letting me put that out as my first record
0: Going with that
2: gun in your hand, hey Joe, where you going with that gun in your hand? I'm gonna shoot my old lady. You know I caught her messing around with another man. with
1: another man Um, but then also you know friends in town Marty and Mayuko and Sean from the Cyril Lords they said hey we just we were just in the studio and we recorded this thing and I was like let me listen to it and I had this very very egalitarian approach of like if I like it I'll put it out Yeah. like if I don't like it I'll tell you why or I'll tell you what what is causing me to dislike this but if I like it then i'll put it out that's all a record label should be is an extension of what you like so Mm -hmm. my whole goal was if if it could pay for itself i was happy i got some money from my mom to start it and that was you know i've never really put other money into it to this day it's kind of just floated on whatever it is now Mm -hmm. 15 years later so
0: yeah wild speaking of uh 45s and singles and putting them out you have one of the most amazing collections of 45s that we've ever seen what drew you to collect singles in general did maybe mick collins uh, his pension for seven inch records have anything to do with that or no
1: I, I you know it's probably more on sub pop than mick collins to be perfectly honest there is a venn diagram intersection of those two though with a gory's 45 mm-hmm. um but i i don't. An LP on so many different levels just feels like such so much more of an investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather multiple quick hits in a row than a long, drawn-out, grand statement. You know, here is my album. Right. Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's It's kind of know this day and age too it's kind of presumptuous to expect someone to afford you the possibility that, that you've got 40 minutes of shit they want to hear yep yeah so a seven inch to me is far more it's just far more appropriate in terms of uh, it's the premium musical delivery format of all time is my uh, some I've said something like that semblance of that phrase and I, I stick by that to this day if you're here in my office you would see the Sarcophagus that I'm slowly building for myself where they will all just
0: <laughs> fall upon my corpse. As people who love comic books as well as records, yeah. we understand.
2: Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> they'll, Good.
0: They'll crush us one day. I mean, well, that's uh, what a wonderful transition. Speaking of your office, uh, let's talk a little bit about Third Man Records and the formation there because just to give you a little bit of background, you know, James and I have been fans since about White Blood Cells, give or take. Where are you guys from? Uh, New Jersey originally. Jersey, the uh, dirty jeers. Yeah. Okay, cool. Dirty jeers, dirty jeers. Sorry no. for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I'm I'm only maybe one or two years younger than you. Uh, we were about more or less the same age, and but anyway, when White Blood Cells came out, that changed my life. I was like, oh my god! And I found it, you know, in high school with friends, and you know, James had listened at that time too. So we've been fans since that point, but. I guess James and I only started sort of looking at the minutiae in greater detail when we started doing this podcast just in terms of pure history. And so I admittedly wasn't following quite as close as I could have been at the time of the inception of Third Man and when it grew. So that's kind of a blind spot for me. And I was hoping you could elaborate just a little bit about... How that idea became what it is today and, you know, just in general, sort of broad strokes from spark to execution. Can you give us a little bit of a history there?
1: Yeah, it's not a huge plan. Basically, the the rights to the White Stripes Back catalog reverted to Jack under the auspices of this entity called Third Man Records. Mm -hmm. Um, Which if you look back, going back to the White Stripes records on V2 and XL, they all say licensed from third man records, which didn't exist other than a name. It was the name of an entity, and that was it. There was no employees. There was no nothing. Right. So when V2 goes kaput, all those rights revert to Jack vis-a-vis third man. Mm -hmm. And so he called me up Halloween 2008 and said, hey, I got the, the back catalog rights. Let's start third man for real. Wow. He said, I just bought a building in Nashville. We can have offices in there. He's like, you can still run cast. Like, that's not a problem. I think we could probably just run a record label on the White Stripes catalog alone. That should be enough to keep a record label going. I didn't have much going on in Detroit at the time. Dirt bombs were just finishing up a, a year of, of touring. We played like 150 shows. And Mick's dad died. And my mom's house caught on fire. Just, you know, bookended by terrible yeah. shit. And so everyone had basically resigned themselves to the fact that we probably weren't going to be doing much for, you know, 2009 so i said it, yeah let's uh, move down to nashville and uh in, the t- in between the time where he called me on halloween and i moved down here in march the dead weather formed wrote and recorded their whole first album <laughs>
2: right, and, very
1: and quickly, basically right? gave us a gave us a huge left turn of our immediate first push was the dead weather and, and their recordings this entirely brand new band and then the blue series also kind of born of that same time period of this, I think in that first year, Blue Series we did my, from March to December it was probably like five Blue Series singles. Yeah. So the idea of reissuing White Stripes stuff was kind of you know, the impetus, but we didn't get around that until uh, like 2010 or so. Like December 2010, when we reissued the first three White Stripes albums. And everything from there, there was no big elaborate plans. It might be the hardest thing for people to believe, but it wasn't like... All right, this is how we're going to start, and then the next year we're going to do this, and then we're going to build up from here. It really was just always being aware of of where you're at and what's the next logical step. There was no five-year plan. There's no 10-year plan. It's just what makes sense right now. And try to have have a mind for where it will eventually take you down the road but you know even as much as the storefront here have you guys been here to the Nashville storefront we have
0: not we've been wanting to poser uh, i know i know i
2: know look Anyways, our parents
1: but, but the, are, have the gone? storefront i don't i don't care what your excuses are whatever it's fine <laughs> um but the storefront here was literally an idea the day before we opened the day before we opened to the public to tell everyone the dead weather formed jack said hey man we've got some display cases and i got a i got a box of of records in my closet, like let's just sell a bunch of shit. I'm like okay, and we had we didn't tell people we were selling, shit, which was even better because there's tons <laughs> of record nerds, and we invited fans and all that crap. But we had we were selling copies of Get Behind Me Satan, the original promo only vinyl pressing. Yeah. everything that we had available for sale, we were selling for three dollars. And so, if someone asked and was like, "Hey, is I had like some big wig from Warner Brothers walk up and I was like, "Hey, is that uh, is that Get Behind Me Satan for sale?" I'm like, "Yeah, it is." He's like, "How much is it?" Like, I'm thinking I'm going to tell him three hundred bucks, which is like the the going rate. I said, "Oh, it's three like, dollars." are you shitting me? No, $3. <laughs> and so I sold it to him. And then had people like call me like the next day or two days later, like, were you selling get behind me Satan for three like, bucks? Yeah,
2: man, that's what Jack wanted us to do. So, you know,
1: we sold
0: them. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: No, the, the start of the store here was, it was literally just what had piled up in, in the years after, uh, you know, what What remained of extra singles and tour t-shirts and all that stuff. We ran it like a merch table. Right. We didn't charge taxes. We didn't w- we had no mind of how business actually ran in terms of our retail spot. So we were just sending money to our business managers and they're saying, well, what? what is all this money for? Like, well, we sold a bunch of records. Well, how many did you sell, and what price did you sell them? I and where's the sales tax? Like, well, we didn't charge sales tax. We didn't have we didn't have change. We were just running like a merch table. I had a, a pocket of like five thousand dollars, a roll of twenties in my pocket. What do you expect me to do? So it was a little bit of a learning curve there, um, but we uh, we figured it out nonetheless. <laughs>
0: We've studied the formation of Apple a little bit to when the Beatles attempted to do, you know, something somewhat similar and it seemed like there was a learning curve for the Beatles too at that time and that one, uh, it just goes to show you sometimes you gotta adjust that left and right side of your brain or whatever, you know, sometimes uh, you know, you go into it with the best of intentions and it seems very simple and then there's all these other layers of bullshit you didn't realize were there as you continued to peel away (laughs) at the onion.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's no case study, there's no example of how to do it right really for this because it really it's a it's a sole proprietorship there's no board here Jack owns everything yeah. and it's a intense label we're at, we average over nine years we average a release a week which is, that's a lot for the size staff that we have. You know, having pressed over 4 million pieces of vinyl, when we started up, you know, Jack has his, I've made reference to his business officers, business managers, and they kind of handle all of his, you know, his money, whatever you want to call it. And so at one point he said, okay, I'm going to start a record label. And they said, okay, yeah, yeah, starting a record label. We get it, whatever. And whatever, six months into third band, they're like, oh, shit, you're starting a record label. Like, we thought you were just going to, like, put out your own CD and whatever, we've done that for everyone before. (laughs) (laughs) That's no big deal. Like you're actually starting a real proper business that is making tons of stuff and selling it. And and this is a legitimate business. This
0: isn't some vanity thing. (laughs) Far from it. He's starting a corporation part of the pub. (laughs) Exactly. One of the things we notice when we're doing like an album analysis, for instance, we notice different – I don't know if you call them parent labels or umbrella labels. It looks like that the uh, records are – maybe licensed to in terms of maybe distribution. And it looks like, you know, there's Warner Brothers in there. But there's also Sony in there. And I'm, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is, there a, is there a a la carte sort of a pick and choose of who you're sending the record to put out on a larger basis for instance we're working on a sea of cowards show and it seemed to be that there was a somewhat of a dispute with sony over that and it wound up going to warner brothers how does that work with the rights in terms of how it's distributed there's
1: no i'm unaware of any dispute with sony regarding sea of cowards that sounds news to me oh okay feel free to send me the documentation and i will confirm or deny sure further but um you know basically the white stripes albums will start there they first came out on sympathy for the record industry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sympathy for the record industry never paid any royalties on them. And so they were in breach of, uh, of a verbal contract. So the band was able to take control of all of those records back. Subsequently from there, they licensed those records to XL for the majority of the world and V2, mm-hmm. uh, in North America, right? give or take, I think Japan and Australia, uh, are weird carve outs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those I believe were 10 year licenses, and so before those 10 years could expire, V2 was basically falling apart, bankrupt. And so the band was able to get the rights to their catalog. Uh, the White Stripes were able to get the rights back to the catalog for North America around about 2000. Shoo, 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 2006 or 2000. You know, I think 2006. End of 2006, I would guess. Um, and so from that point, all the White Stripes stuff that is available that leads into the white Stripe signing with Warner brothers. Mm-hmm. And so Warner brothers puts out Icky Thump right. and they also make the CDs on all the back catalog. So first album, Distill, still white blood cells, et cetera, et cetera. The digital rights, which at that point are basically iTunes and nothing else are all controlled by the band themselves there's no label intermediary it's it's effectively third man records uh pre-third man records it's Mm -hmm. under that name but there's no one there's no employees or anything okay Mm -hmm. when the dead weather forms those records go through uh those go through warner brothers as well before that the Tours first album goes through v2 second album goes through warner brothers so it kind of you know you kind of can, can say you've got the uh, the sympathy era, yeah. the V two era, the Warner Brothers era, and after Warner Brothers comes uh, Jack White solo, which is the uh, Sony Columbia era. I see. Mm. So his uh, his three solo albums have all been partnered with them, and across all of that, XL is pretty much involved from about two thousand one onward. Right. I think XL didn't do. Let me remember correctly. I think XL didn't touch the Dead Weather. Um, I I don't know why. Um, but everything else, they have mainly they have handled the rest of the world is the terminology we use. Okay, so gotcha. Excel has handled rest of the world on White Stripes, and they've done it on, Rack and Tours, and they've done it on Jack White solo stuff as well. Okay. Now for the rest of the world, those rights on the White Stripes catalog have expired, and I think on the maybe on the the Rack and Tours as well. Um, and so then those those rights are reabsorbed by third man.
2: Okay. Huh.
1: So that's why we were that's why we were able to do Icky Thump Vault Package in twenty seventeen because the rights had reverted back to to third man.
2: Oh, okay. And no one else
1: had any other claims on it. And if you go on streaming or digital and you find a key Thump on there, that is controlled by Third Man. Um, it's not touched by Warner Brothers. It's not touched by XL. You know, it's all artist-owned. It's all comes back to us. No one else is going to own any of these recordings. They are just merely licensed for a period of time.
0: Okay, well, that clears a lot of that up. Thank you. Yeah, I just
1: knocked an episode off of your list. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's why you're here is to shut this show down. I yeah,
1: tell you how you could be doing it. No problem.
0: Yeah. We we are always happy anytime you want to tell us how you think we should be doing it. I tell you, you have an open invitation. We will follow your uh, follow your lead anytime you like.
1: Yeah, the problem is I actually have to listen to the podcast to tell you guys everything you're doing wrong. Like I don't get the cliffs if like someone transcribed them. I know and sent mm. them to me mm-hmm.
2: and, and just news. took your
1: your your funny Jack White uh, vocal impersonations and <laughs> or whatever. If they just did that, like, I, I would probably be able to knock through, you know, I could probably read a show of yours a day and, and get through it. You know, I got paternity leave coming up. I got, I can take that on.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. We did that early on, knowing that it would never hit anybody who would know Jack White's ears, And that was so... Very oh, wrong. I was
1: listening to episode one, dude. I I think I listened to, <laughs> yeah, within you know a week or two of you guys putting that up there. We were, I was, I was, I had ears on it. So
2: um, uh, the ben, internet's uh, a
0: small place, bros. Uh, yeah. Ben James and I have both turned various shades of red right now, and uh, we are good. both flattered and terrified.
1: Um, good, that's good to hear. <laughs>
0: we're just gonna jump in here to address some of the things we learned james i would love to point out that ben actually did have kind of a lead on where the van wound up yeah <laughs> we, how like we learned about this van mystery to all yeah and then all of a sudden ben's like no no this is a bigger thing than you than you realize than you <laughs> the van's fine yeah <laughs> no the van yeah. wasn't fine but Uh, The drum kit wasn't important, the money was recouped, everything's fine with the van. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if anyone would like to hear the full Coe's missing van story, I think you can check out episode, I want to say 78 of the podcast, our extended interview with Coe Molina, and uh, James, it's very possible we could be listening to another conversation with Coe Molina in the not-too-distant future, so there will be perhaps some more van follow-up in future episodes and i'd love for co's missing van to become a recurring subplot in our show it'll Um, become the third co-host is co's missing van co's missing van have we discussed calling her co-host with a k oh god that's so good (laughs) oh that's so good because she might as well be she's very good at this better than i am anyway this isn't about co this is about ben and his amazing interview <laughs> a couple of things to blow through here uh, not only did we hear those awesome stories about him playing with the bricks you know he also mentioned playing a show with two-star tabernacle like this guy's just been involved in some capacity in most jack white related things for like a while now yeah i mean he seems like right hand man kind of deal where if he's needed he'll be there he's a good nephew yeah and a good contemporary because from what we've learned the age difference isn't too off yeah so realistically they're just good friends who happen to be related yeah it's more of a big brother kind of a situation i think he put it that way also uh, really cool to hear about the formation of third man i love that they <laughs> i love that they're whole operation, this whole storefront operation was spawned by Jack just saying, hey, I got a couple of display cases the night before. And them (laughs) running running it like a merch table. It's just it boggles the mind but and yet makes so much f***ing sense yeah i really wish i could see a uh, jack white auctioneer kind of situation where he's at a table like a snake oil salesman <laughs> i think that's the the visual i was going for like will you take this record here or will yeah, you take yeah. this record here you good sir <laughs> careful james you're skewing a little into the jack scent which we were also called out for so that's I, fun for us i give a formal apology to yeah. well to all who listen uh, because really, no one's asking for it But we continue to do it It's not making fun It's just a thing that came out And we we're having fun, not making fun its uh, I would consider it a uh, an accent of endearment Yeah, sure Two other things of note here A, Ben listened to episode one And B, Ben Blackwell called us both posers, James And I think we could both die reasonably happy Having been called a poser by, <laughs> Respectively by Mr. Ben Blackwell and um, I'm overjoyed. I don't know about you. There's a certain level of Je ne sais quoi uh, masochism. I was expecting. Oh yeah, all right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, and he's right. We should have gone. <laughs> we should have gone to the uh, the record store. We and it's our thing. fault. We did a but, bad thing. But you know, we'll eventually. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Um, and so, Jays, we're going to get back into it here. What do you say? We got a lot more coming up here. Yeah, let's let's do that, Paul. Well, speaking of, of um, oh man, of recognition, um, the uh, the world's fastest record, were you one of the two police escorts in that yes, video? I, yes,
1: I. Okay. absolutely. Okay. Yes, I was.
0: Whose idea was it to have this escort story be a part of the festivities, if you will?
1: As I recall, it was Jack's idea. Um, okay. So Lalo, his tour manager, Hispanic uh, background, me, I'm, I'm pretty fair-haired and Teutonic looking. (laughs) And someone made the comment when we were talking about all this. I'm like, wow, you guys should dress up as uh, Ponch and Baker from Chips and uh, you guys should be the escort. And I was like, "Ah, ha, 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 you know, laughed it off and then uh, it kind of went away and then someone brought it up again. I think Jack brought it up again. He's like, no, really, I think you guys should dress up like uh, California Highway Patrolmen. And I realized at that point I, I knew deep down I did not want to do that. Um, but I also realized the harder I fought against it, the more people would want to see it. So I was just like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'm, I'm, maybe this will provide me with the necessary distraction uh, on, a, on what was probably my most, in terms of sheer record manufacturing, probably the tensest day of my life. Maybe it'll just give me a little bit of distraction. And so, you know, ultimately, I, I, it was totally the right call. Like, I I, I could see through my own reluctance that uh, it, provided a, it provided a very wonderful uh, subplot. And, uh, I, I, hey, I had to learn how to drive a scooter the day before. So it was yeah. uh, it was all just on our toes, man.
2: Wow. It is a big deal to get a, a plant that mm-hmm. was excited. I mean, to do this, I'd not even be so excited about doing this testament how cool they are yeah. hey, hey!
1: as soon as they're done we're gonna rush them back the first batch which is maybe I don't know what like a hundred copies or something or 200 yeah, copies and, it's and rush them back and
0: sell them yeah you were escorting what seemed to be an electric commuter car is that still at there?
1: yes it's uh yes, it's sitting in the garage
0: <laughs> waiting for the next fastest record, I'm assuming <laughs> just
1: sitting there <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it can go anywhere
0: <laughs> You should implement that into the cast record plant and uh have people zip by to quality control on that. It's silent, it's electric, it's fine.
1: That was the original one of the original ideas of that car jack buying it was yeah, go uh. Go run and do a drop-off uh, at Grimey's local record store. Go drop it off taking that car or go pick up from the pressing plant. Use that that electric city car. Um, <laughs> it's just, wow. it's just a he... beast. It's, like, you know, it's an electric car from like the mid-70s. It's not really <laughs> yeah. uh, terribly
0: functional. I was going to say, did he know it's incredibly unsafe? <laughs> yeah. We know that there's been a few brushes with World Records before you guys did the World's Fastest Record. Were there any other Guinness Records that were proposed before that and got shot down? Or was this always like, uh, get back at them for the fastest concert kind of debacle that happened?
1: You know, after a certain point, you know, we we were told... I'd never seen, you know, back in the day when we used to do the Scholastic book fairs in school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the highlight for me was just getting the new Guinness Book of World Records and seeing all the records that I had broken, like updating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was for a while, I had, you know, five years of Guinness books, like on my bookshelf, and I could go back and like, ah, see how it changed from 89 to 90? Wow, that's pretty <laughs> interesting. Was the guy who, who fit the most uh, the most cigarettes in his mouth at one time Scott Case? I still think his name is, or the <laughs> world's heaviest twins, Billy and Benny McCrary.
0: On those motorcycles, riding
1: yeah. motorcycles with the checkered pants, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of Guinness knowledge buried in this noggin over here.
0: <laughs> yeah, historian from a young age, it seems.
1: <laughs> to go back, apparently, the One Note Show in Saint John, Newfoundland, actually was included in the Guinness Book. In 2007 or 2008 but then Guinness took it out they said well people were just trying to break it and just saying well I I just I breathed and that's a concert so and Uh and they they, so they took it out for competition purposes seems to make no sense and so that kind of just you can find it online but there's jack kind of just playing with guinness at a certain point (laughs) i think the headline was jack white performs most metaphors on stage for guinness book world record but we did not do anything to pitch that to guinness at all okay so i don't know if it ever got included or not and then the record in space uh, at whatever altitude we did not actively pursue that at all either um i think that still got a record i thought someone i thought I saw a certificate from Guinness somewhere at some point that someone had submitted it on our behalf like we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't search it out. I mean the funny thing is that Guinness gets treated like it's a governmental organization but yeah. it's actually a beer company. So
0: <laughs> um is it
1: one and the same? Yeah, it's a, the the Guinness book was originally started You blew my mind. It was originally started to settle bar bets.
0: <laughs> I did not oh, know that. Oh man. Oh my god. I never thought I'd put more faith in Ripley now. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, Ripley's way cooler, way cooler in the grand scheme of things. Ripley blows Guinness out of the park.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of blowing us away, we're going to move on here to, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the Third Man Vault. We spoke about the formation of Third Man Records and how that came about, but admittedly, the dawn of the vault or how that came about is somewhat of a mystery to us. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit on how that came to be and what sort of, like, selection process each of the packages goes through and etc. It starts pretty
1: unassumingly. Going back to 2003, for the most part, we have multi-track records. Recordings of every live show from the White Stripes onward, mm-hmm. so that includes *Rack and Tour*,s that includes *Dead Weather*, that includes Jack White solo. So my, you know, once we're all down here in 2009, and I've heard of these recordings, I've not actually heard them. My thought was, okay, how do we? I want to get my hands on this stuff. I just want to hear it. You know, being a fan first and foremost. Now we've established this label. So in my earliest memory in regards to idea behind it was I wanted to do a once a month. White Stripes live show release. Um, and I guess we had talked about having it be a subscription, and it was just going to be super plain packaging, maybe just a, a regular die-cut sleeve, and it's just rubber-stamped. Like, I'm coming super bedroom DIY. Like, I was coming from the cast end where I would rubber-stamp everything, and I would do two or 300 copies. So I'm thinking, like, oh, White Stripes will do, like, a 1,000 copies, and that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. And then we got, uh, we got pinged by Tom DeLong from Blink-182, yeah. Who had this company called Mod Life that I, I, I guess they still exist, maybe not? But they said, We've got a platform for fan clubs. Um, we'd love to show it to you. We'd love to demo it to you. And so he came down here. This is probably April of 2009, maybe May.
0: It was it Friday night?
1: And just said, Hey, here's all the stuff we can do. We have online chat, we can do video streaming, we can facilitate all your payments. All the back end, all the difficult stuff, we've we've built the framework for a digital online fan club. And we would just take a percentage of whatever your income is through that to facilitate it. And through that, it became, you know, well, let's not just make this about White Stripes Live records. Let's see how we can expand it. And so it became, well, the fan club is just of, we just call it the vault. And it's just kind of a fan club of what we do. So there's no guarantee what you're getting from one package to the next. We'll give people that notice. Um, But it might be Jack White one month or one quarter, and it might be the Rack and Tours or Dead Weather the next quarter. And uh, we just kind of run that way. And so we launched, I believe it was July 1st, 2009. I'd pulled a bunch of stuff out of the vaults in terms of audio and video that I think through updates and crashed computers and stuff has been, you know, uh, is not uh, available on, on the vault anymore, but there's, you know, it's backed up somewhere. We kind of just launched with that. With the, It was the white stripes, the mono pressing of Icky Thump, which had different artwork, and then it was... The dead weather two songs seven inch that was kept off of the Horrorhound lp which is two cover songs mm-hmm. and then a third man records t-shirt and uh yeah i think those all shipped up probably like august september of that year and uh it's just been uphill since then yeah speaking to the selection process it's it's kind of consensus for the most part there was heated heated discussion here about captain beefheart <laughs> and uh, you know there was there was some people here who was like n- you cannot follow a jack white vault package with captain beefheart admittedly one of the more difficult albums to listen to in popular music history
2: friday everybody's gone high society hope lost his head and got off on alligators somebody's
1: leaving. you know me and, and jack and swank were were well, no i think it actually totally makes sense i think this is what the vault is supposed to be and it was insanely successful we classically do not share numbers but um it was it was definitely uh better than we could have anticipated so that's great um,
0: news that was my first introduction actually to that album because beefheart has been a challenge for me over the years i've i've tried and sort of fallen off or not been able to quite get into it but when that vault arrived it was a lot like third man sending me a recommendation for an album and on that basis alone it allowed me to hear it with new ears and and be much more open to it and i wound up really digging and it. it's fucking weird but i uh yeah. i really yeah I it really is did, weird i did i dug it it was it was a lot of fun what a beautiful package i mean my god yeah
1: it, that you know of late there's been a handful of packages where i kind of just stand back and like man this really this really looks great you know the yeah. the the white stripes live in detroit 99 2000 2001 i particularly handled a lot of the just the legwork on all of that in terms of the audio and the graphics and and, and jack was was kind of admittedly he said hey man i'm gonna be a little hands off here you you can take the reins on this what i trust your judgment you know as, as someone who's lived with these recordings for a long time and someone who's uh you know was at all of these shows and lived through all of this you guys have this copy right you have the white stripes live in detroit box yep,
2: yep. yeah
1: Good, good. Beautiful. Uh, really I was nice. about to, I was about to hang up if you
2: didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Please
0: don't, don't call me a poser up, but, again. I don't think I could take. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when those, uh,
1: when those die cut sleeves arrived, and we kind of did the, this, you know, insert the the printed records or inner sleeves inside those i kind of lost my breath i was like yeah wow this is actually exactly how i hoped (laughs) like i was like like caddy who runs the vault she she had called me into the warehouse like you need to see these and i came in and was really i felt really really proud you know being incredibly involved in on all aspects of that and this is you know to you guys it's wow look at this great document of the white stripes and this this period and yeah but to me, like, that's my life. Like, sure. I lived those shows. I kept those flyers. I'm the one that ran tape, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, wow, like, you're 16, 17 years old, and you're just doing this stuff for the love of it. And then to be able to recreate this, and, yeah. and it's sitting on people's record
0: shelves, It's man, that's
1: not, that's not something to downplay. That's pretty fucking cool. You know, I'm very, very lucky here.
0: On that package in particular, I mean, my uh, my wife, who uh, very patiently puts up with my third man collecting. She likes Jack's music, but uh, you know, she's she's not got that collector gene anyway. When I got that vault in particular, I was looking at it. It made her stop and go, wow, they sent that to you? I was like, yeah, this is amazing, isn't it? It's just the, the die cut is just beautiful. Each one is a work of art, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's, yeah.
1: Really yeah, cool. no, I'm really, really happy with how that looks.
0: Yeah. It was the first record I put on when I moved into my first house. So uh, it's, awesome! it's it was a beautiful, beautiful package. You did a fantastic Aww. job. Actually, you had mentioned the Icky Thump anniversary package that, is a working of yeah. art as well. That one's beautiful. I'm never disappointed when I receive the vaults. It's, <laughs> it's always top quality. Awesome. And that's not just me pandering. No,
1: I, I appreciate it. It doesn't feel like pandering, man. I, I get it. I'm, I'm working hard to earn that. You know, I don't take it for granted and there's lots of uh, and don't let it seem like I'm the only one doing anything there's tons of people there's people here who their only job is working on the vault and Caddy who works here at Third Man she busts her hump she does such such good work there and she has such ownership of it and her and Brett who are kind of just the day to day you know they're answering the emails they're updating addresses and, and all that stuff like I really really they're such a great team to work with I'm, I feel lucky that they're here they really really do great work
0: our thanks to all of them, uh, sincerely. Yeah, and, yeah. and also, while we're on the subject of uh, thanking you for things, things like uh, sending out emails to Vault subscribers for, like, the Lily May show, for instance. I was able to go see her out here in Los Angeles because I got that email that was like, hey, here's access to this show. So the things you guys do for the fans is f-ing cool. And I feel like we're lucky to be a part of this fan community, this third-man records community, partly because it seems like there's a real recognition of what fans are looking for and what we would find special and interesting. And the fact that I was able to go hang out with Lily May, you know, while she... You know, it it just blew my mind. It was so awesome. So thank you guys. Seriously, everyone there for everything you're doing.
1: Oh, man, well, we appreciate it. Really do.
0: Now, switching gears, is there any way we can pander our way into advertising for a music video vault
1: <laughs> music video vault like what do you envision
0: oh man isn't Gameball youtube
1: been... already a music video vault like isn't everything there? i know sort uh, of
0: yeah. So, uh, so there's a if there's a if there's this collection called the McCartney, <laughs> like James and I are big Beatle fans. They just put out a cool collection of like Blu-ray, real high def videos. McCartney did one called the McCartney Years, which is awesome, which collects all these random things with him wearing like a bolo tie in 87. I guess all we're saying is if you wanted to put out a really cool video package of Jack's videos, which are, you know, hey, let's be honest, a pretty central part in what made him a thing you know particularly early on in his career mm-hmm. you know we wouldn't complain is all we're saying we wouldn't yeah. complain
1: <laughs> no matter what we do folks <laughs> will find a way
0: to complain okay uh yeah speaking of crazy ideas for vaults which that is ours that we've been championing for quite some time has there ever been a crazy idea for a vault that was vetoed or fell through that nearly got there
1: it was a while ago there was talk of Was a vault proposal of you know whenever bands play here in the Blue Room they record an LP but there's usually maybe one or two extra songs that are left off the record, so someone Mm -hmm. said, "Well, what if we took those one or two songs from each of those bands and made a compilation record of just those?" Okay, all right. Um, And the idea is actually great. The idea is solid. It's just the execution of yeah. You have to go back. You know, say you're going to include 15 bands or 20 bands. You actually have to go back to 20 different contracts, 20 different reels of tape. And even just getting to the point of being able to pitch it, the time sink of it all was massive. And just you know, we, we got to, <laughs> we got to a certain point I'm just like, man, this isn't gonna work. I just just uh, you know, because we're we're on a deadline. So that's kind of on the back burner. I think it's the, the issues still remain. It's not fully nixed forever, but it's a tough one.
0: Yeah, sort of a modern-day sympathetic sounds of Detroit kind of-esque thing, it sounds like. Uh, some, except, some some similarities, yeah. Except all over North America. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Mentioned to us that there was some new Dirt Bombs music coming out this year. Is there anything brewing in the pipeline with you and the Dirt Bombs, or is it just going to be Mick? Or have you heard anything about that?
1: I usually, you know, take statements like that from Mick with a grain of salt. Um, (laughs) But also worth saying, you know, the last I didn't play on the last Dirt Bombs record, it was him and a bunch of other non Dirt Bombs members. I think Pat played drums on a couple songs, but he didn't even know which ones he played drums on. Okay. So I don't know I I think Mick thinks The dirt bombs are You know It's whatever he Wants them to be At that time So Gotcha I've heard a couple People say that And it's probably From your podcast um, Saying oh I heard There's new dirt bomb Stuff coming out Like what's the story I'm like man, I, I, you know, I've heard that for years and nothing's come out. So I don't, I've, I've not, I've learned to not place too much stock in it, but I also know that something could happen. So I don't know. I got paternity leave coming up. So I'm sure Mick is a, is a avid listener of your podcast. So, uh, you know, I can tell him through these means to give me a call and I'll, uh, I'll fly in up with one of the three kids and we'll, uh, we'll do a session. You know.
0: We're doing it. (laughs) Connecting people. Connecting dirt bombs across the country. I love it.
1: Yeah, Um, exactly.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your solo record release. I remember when all this was trees. Throughout your career, so often you found yourself in a a support role. What was it like being out there on your own? Did you feel naked? Did it feel good? Was it an expression of what you had wanted for some time? Or did it just come about via happenstance like so many third man related projects tend to do?
1: I was alone living in the guest house at Jack's property mm. and i decided to challenge myself to see if i could write perform and record a record entirely by myself mix i did everything i etched wow. i did the etchings in the run out grooves um, <laughs> i didn't cut the record itself but the 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 reading the the <laughs> the the characters in The Runout Grooves were actually etched by me, just as an exercise, really. And so I, I approached this theme, which is maybe there's something psychological to approach, but it was kind of more I wanted to do a record about Detroit. Mm-hmm. And so all the songs are in one way or another about Detroit or characters from Detroit. You know, my, my time in the, the Dirt Bombs, notwithstanding, I'm not really a musician. You know, anything I know, I've kind of just picked up. Uh, I've never had formal training Someone showed me this is how you play a power chord Oh sweet and that works anywhere on on the, the fretboard here Like I can do a power chord here I can do a power chord there Shit man I can write a so That's all I need man yeah. So I just I just ran with it secret challenges i had to myself on top of all that was i want to write a record about detroit and i only use the word detroit once in the whole record and it's the it's in the last line the the last lyric of the last song so it was purely an exercise to see that i could do it and and i'm a i'm a big fan of records that are not that are weird that don't really make sense that seem out of place or or like they were made by aliens (laughs) <laughs> and as time, as time moves on and on, it seems like those are harder and harder to find. But I think being a, a non-musician, you know, uh, you know, more of an entertainer, trying to, to put that together, I hope that it stands out as, wow, this is a weird record. And even if people don't like it, I'd rather it be disliked and unique than liked and, you know, run-of-the-mill. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking weird record. No two songs sound the same and it was all just recorded on a laptop. There's nothing. It was on a laptop using GarageBand. So I, it was basically me learning GarageBand, too. Of like, I don't, you know, I thought I recorded a track. Oh, shit, I didn't. Wow, man, that baseline was pretty cool, though. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess we'll never hear
0: that again. We're hearing some similarities to, it sounds like, the thinking behind at least aspects of Boarding House Reach with that. You know, Jack sort of taking advantage of digital tools and in a lot of ways crafting it, obviously not alone, but with a, perhaps a similar intent.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair to say.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I inspired Boarding House
1: reach far from it (laughs) um but i do you know there was a moment there was a moment i handed i handed jack a copy of that record and i don't know if he knew i was working on it or not but i had started it while i was living in his guest house and then finished it after i'd moved out and when i handed it to him i said just so you know um i snuck into your studio um a couple times and just set up my i don't know how to use your board or anything so i just set up my laptop with the with the built-in microphone and recorded it and he started laughing he's like really like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you now just so you know. But yeah, this was recorded in your studio. And I, and I kind of got the feeling from him. He didn't he didn't say anything, but I kind of got the feeling of I walked away from that. It's like, man, I'm actually kind of impressed by the balls on you to do that. There's just You know, you went in and you, you, you didn't move anything around. You used however it was set up. I think anything with drums on it, oh, it might only be one song. Is there drums on? Yeah, there's one song at least one song with drums that was done in the studio that might be it i think it might just be that one song Lee had today. Never but yeah i don't i mean i made 300 copies of them i i you know they're all hand labeled like i wrote the album title on each of those hand assembled. I wanted it to look like a record that was made by someone who doesn't make records. So I I guess, you know, maybe some, someone will find it. Fifty years from now, and appreciate it. I don't know if folks appreciated it otherwise. <laughs> well,
0: uh, it, uh, as far as availability goes, it was tough to track down myself. I think it's sold out on the Cass Records website, but I did find a copy on yeah. Discogs. So we're finding it somehow. <laughs> good, good. That's good. <laughs> Speaking of that sort of air of mystery, and there's always seems to be like funny stories like that populating the third band history. Like, oh yeah, I broke into your studio and did this, or yeah, we did this just popped up overnight. Mm-hmm. So we're back to these mysterious topics here. We're just going to go through a couple of them. Okay. Yeah, let's just do it
1: like lightning round style. I, I majored in lightning rounds Love in it. college. so
0: Big, big, big fan. Yeah. Love the lightning round. Yes. We did actually prepare a lightning round real quick that we might as well get into. Very quick answers here. So uh, let's start the music, I guess, in post. Mystery albums that may or may not exist in some form or another. Let's talk about the first one. A white stripes album post Icky Thump from the two thousand nine to two thousand ten time frame. There was a lot discussed. We've we've seen in articles and things from that time frame. Were any tracks ever demoed for such a record? And if you can't tell us, just say pass or open the shoot under me and I'll fall into the alligator's mouth.
1: No, it it was discussed, but there was nothing there was nothing recorded. Okay
0: are we ever going to see an ep style release perhaps of the jack and jay-z collaboration or is that just doa not going anywhere done
1: uh, it's all in jay-z's plate i mean we we'd waited it's nine years now since that happened uh, since the recordings happened and still you know it's waiting for the phone call there
0: okay uh, okay over and over and over again was that ever demoed with the dead weather
1: I believe it was tried with the Dead Weather, but I've not found... I'm unaware of a recording of the Dead Weather doing it. Uh, I know... Yeah, I know Jack has said he's he's tried it with all of his bands, and I, I don't think he's lying there. Okay. Uh, I just think okay. by the time with the Dead Weather was... You know, that's a song that he plays on guitar, so it's kind of weird with him as the drummer for... You know, he hasn't played drums on all the Dead Weather tracks, but something like that, he would... You know, over and over and over, he should be playing guitar. So I think they probably just tried it for a second, like, ah, let's move on. Sure.
0: Okay. Was there ever plans for a third Rack and Tours album? And did anything was anything ever laid down for that? Mm, no. Okay. Okay. In the age of flower petal filled, liquid filled, glitter filled records, if you had a chance to fill a record with a never before done substance, what would it be? Keep it clean. This is PG. Love. <laughs> oh. 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 Okay. Right, done. Uh, we'll fill it with love. That could be <laughs> clean or dirty. Uh, if you <laughs> had to put a band together. Of two or more TMR acts, who would it consist of?
1: Two or more third man acts. Man, I'm really in love with sleep lately. So I would love to hear sleep maybe partnered with, you know, sleep with Margot Price on vocals would be a, a very interesting.
0: I would sign up for that. <laughs> that would, And I think they would get along just fantastically. <laughs> yes. Plans to reabsorb Margot Price's Buffalo Clover catalog and reissue those on third man records. Please say yes.
1: Um, I, you know, I've those discussions. I am unaware of, but uh, I, I could be in the dark to be perfectly honest.
0: Oh, well, they're so okay. fucking good, Ben. I would love those. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Of all of the third-man bric-a-brac collected over the years as archivist, what is the most ridiculous?
1: Gosh, you know, I I don't want to say as archivist, but at the end of last year, there was a weird— Did you get the squid? —gaff tape. You got the squid! uh, Yeah, gaff-tape squid that ended up on eBay uh, that—just ridiculous, um, bonkers—that someone was claiming Jack made, and uh, they're asking for tons of money for it, and it was definitely a holiday time uh, email— a uh, chuckle that we all got out of it, and then not too long after, I heard from the assistant of the White Stripes' old booking agent. He said, "You know, I actually made that. I made that backstage and just left it around, and they thought Jack made it. So uh, it was great to fi- you know, to fi- you know, all this stuff I didn't know about all came out, and we we had a full, you know, tying together of all the loose ends. It was actually pretty great.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! I'm yeah. so glad to know that. I don't, yeah, um, I don't know if I
1: have a good answer for for what I've tracked down. Or found. I mean, the White Stripes live direct to disc recordings from Australia. That was one I was particularly proud of because I had actually traveled to Australia in hopes of trying to get those records, or at least hear them, um, and that mm-hmm. never happened. But but it, I was able to make it happen here, uh, you know, under the the Third Man umbrella. So I was particularly proud of that. And I think folks will hear them someday.
0: Nice. If you had a pseudonym for a band, what would it be? A pseudonym for a band? In a, yeah, in a, a la Bill Clinton as Jim Diamond. Or Jim Diamond as Bill Clinton. Uh,
1: yeah, man. I don't you know, it's kinda like goes along with my dislike of Halloween. Like I, I got enough trouble being who I am. I don't got time to try to be someone else. So
0: Okay. He would be Lockjaw. Um, <laughs> 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 this one this one comes from listener to the show, Kate McCoy. What is Jack holding on the elephant album cover, Will We Ever Know?
1: Well, she probably means a get behind me Satan album cover, because the elephant album cover he's holding a cricket bat.
0: A cricket
2: bat.
1: Um,
0: That
2: was going to be my follow-up
1: question. Yes. Yeah, so get behind me, Satan. To be fair, Jack, I think, is like 90% certain of what he's holding on there. (laughs) Um, And and having actually examined what he's holding, um, I tend to agree with his assumption. But I don't think that's my place to divulge that. Certainly not here, certainly not now. That's maybe a a 20-year anniversary thing. Uh, Okay, okay. let that out
0: we did hear from bruce brand that he thought it was some sort of a pill bottle <laughs> bruce brand was like i think it was like a pill box or something so like I don't... <laughs> it is not uh,
1: i will say it is not a pill box all I right definitely say it is not a pill box
0: all right there we go all right uh bowling or baseball uh, baseball okay you guys have recorded stuff in near space via balloon shows underground is the next logical step. A third man records record recorded entirely at sea.
1: Did we not put any, I guess we didn't, The uh, in the white stripes Canadian tour, we did have the band playing on a boat.
0: On a boat. That's right.
1: But I don't think we put any of that on record. It's in the documentary, but it's not on the, the B shows vault package. So
0: where he sails away playing screwdriver.
1: Underwater would be cool. Maybe. Ooh. Uh, I'm I'm oh, man. I'm open to the challenges, fine, you know.
0: <laughs> if NASA approached you with the opportunity to play a record on Mars, what would you take from the third man records catalog to play?
1: Man, I think it's I think it still needs to be Carl Sagan, right? Like why it's why switch be. it up now? It, it should be, <laughs> We've got you know,
2: too far. <laughs> it should be a
0: glorious dawn, man. Alright, there's there's two more. Uh Zydeco music, yes or no.
1: Zydeco music? Ah man, I'm not terribly versed the closest I can say is that there's a song what's it Stephanie McD called Call the Police that was covered by the Oblivions on their last LP that's pretty when i first played that i fought when i first found the original i played it in my office and swank came into my office and we're like i don't think i even know what this is like i wouldn't even know how to categorize or qualify this this is so unlike anything i've ever heard in my life so uh if stephanie mcd call the police is any indication then zydeco thumbs up
0: okay all right zydeco yes and this comes from my wife so apologies ariel asks does jack white know this show exists Yes, he does. Oh, Whoa. baby! <laughs> well, and that's that, the end of the lightning round. Yeah, Thank you so much. On that You're beautiful, welcome. beautiful note, uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. I, we really appreciate your time. It's been incredible to talk with you. And again, I know we said it before, but on behalf of the fan community, we really thank you and Third Man and everyone there for being so great to the fans. And uh, we really uh, look forward to seeing what's coming next. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, any upcoming releases or shows or anything like that you'd like to plug for our listeners?
1: Ah, oh, man. Uh, you know, we just we got a solid. I think from here on out, the rest of the year, most most weeks, we got a new release on Friday. So um, there's live releases, there's archival reissues, stuff like that. I don't know what your release schedule is, so I'm I'm afraid of blowing something we haven't announced yet, but. Um, it's all, man. It's all stuff I stand by. So if you if it tends to grab your attention, I would say it's probably worth making the effort and listening to because uh, you know we put out good stuff.
0: Agreed. <laughs> and and uh, and just on a, on a personal note, as far as putting out good stuff, even researching this show and learning more about the Third Man World has exposed me to so much music that I would just never ever have listened to before so uh, just on a personal note thank you very much it's always great to take one of those dives into a, a third band project because we always turn up something interesting and, and uh, I learn a little bit more every time and we strive to correct ourselves when we get things wrong so Ben we're sorry for the inaccuracies, <laughs> and we, I, we promise you, we will try and and do better, and uh, and we want to keep pushing toward that goal.
1: Yeah, if you ever have a question, like yeah, just shoot it over to me, and you can, you can say, hey, we thought this,
0: but we emailed
1: Ben Blackwell, and he said, no, you guys are actually totally full of shit. There's no truth to that. Like that's actually <laughs> a, a cool, uh, you know, a cool advantage you could have to your podcast episodes moving forward. You know,
0: love it, love it. And uh, and one step <laughs> on the on the path to uh, just absorbing us into the third man family. We'll just become the official. Po- I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, no joke, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, no, Paul, we talked about this. <laughs> uh, ben, thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you for being amazing. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Take care, guys. James, I think we'll get back to the show Yeah. a fun time chatting with Ben and learning so much. Boy, an awesome experience. And I would just like to point out a couple things. If you haven't checked out Ben Blackwell's solo album, I Remember When All This Was Trees, It's really good. It's definitely homegrown, but I would say if you like, uh, like James and I always talk about McCartney and Beatles and stuff, it really strikes me as like McCartney or McCartney 2 or some combination therein. Mm. It's a lot of experimentation with some pretty interesting hooks and things underneath there. And I found myself humming the songs just in my everyday life and uh they're like they're like straight up playlist worthy like there's some really good stuff on there so check out ben's uh, solo album if you get the chance if you can't find it on the cast records website then it is also you know i found mine on discogs so you can just sort of pick it up there but uh you know kudos to ben for a wonderful album And I I really felt at home listening to it. Yeah, go pick that up or at least give it a listen and pick up some great stuff from Cass Records because uh, if you like Brendan Benson, he's on there. A whole bunch of great Detroit bands are just all over cast records. So uh, it was a breeze to shop for when I shopped on his website. One of my favorite cast finds was Mooney Suzuki, mm. which Ben talked to us about who that was his first release on Cass, And I actually wound up picking up the very first Cass 45, which I did nice. find. And, uh, and I actually went, I'd never heard Mooney Suzuki before in my life. i thought it was very good and wanted to hear more and so i'm taking that little deeper dive there so you know it's much like third man opens up a lot of gateways to other different kinds of music you might not have heard before cast does the same thing and well worth the investment of time yeah definitely so go check them out and if there is not an amoeba hollywood rack devoted to cast records this is my lobby to make that happen if anybody from amoeba hollywood is listening get but uh, put a put a cast records box in there Yeah, and uh, James, I think that's going to bring us to some uh, shout-outs. Yeah, let's shout some people out. Let's shout out our listeners who are here day in, day out. Like, Ben the Beer Man, Blues Carnes, Kate McCoy the Bones of the Operation, Jeremy Riles keeping us on those rails, My Oh Me, It's Me Oh My, Andre Ice Cold Lime Man, Eileen Corsano, I See You Over There, Callie Durga, our third person in spirit every week, Adrian King, the Punk Rock Queen, the Red Red Rain Prosper, Amy Hart, the heart of the operation, ha <laughs> it's LOL 2.0, we've got Eric Andrew Dodson over here, David Poe, 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 S.A. Franco, what does that mean? Yvette Wilkins, she's Wilkin on sunshine. Brendan and... Smith. Brian, Walter, be nicer to me. There's no right opinion for you here. Go away on Twitter. And finally, the Brett 3 killed my Garsky, Paul. We'd also like to shout out some new listeners to the show, people who've been interacting with us on social media. We'll do a Facebook edition of you all here. We have James... Thank you James We also have Shane White We have uh, Jeannie Bolts Thank Mm. you Jeannie We have Ruba Say, Kathy O'Connor Kyle Sharp Something 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 This way Yes it's very good (laughs) Uh, Christopher Hill we have Richard Anderson Kieran Locke uh, Laura Simonic, Ronnie uh, Bro Pierce Carol Janov No relation we have Jeff Francis, uh, Vesper Winchester, which is a wonderful uh, name there. We have Hannah Warple, Matt Sherman, Tiffany Newman, Anna De La Rosa, Sonia Cano, Barry Nacell, Kelly Harden, so many. Tracy Gong here, Art Neely. Thank you so much, everybody, for interacting with us on uh, social media. We love new people. You all should tell your friends. And some ways of doing that are by going on facebook.com slash third men, giving us a like there and sharing our page and stuff. You can go to Twitter at third men on Twitter, Tumblr. We're on there as well. Third men dot Tumblr dot com. You can find our WordPress site, the third men dot WordPress dot com. You can find us. You can email us with listener suggestions or facts that you smelled or stories that you learned or just say hey. Yeah, we like hearing from you. Yeah, we, lo- we love it. You can find us at our gmail which is thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on pippa pippa is a great podcasting hosting resource they've done wonders for our show and gotten us onto spotify all this other stuff pippa's great at the time of this recording we are closing in on twenty eight thousand downloads since joining pippa a few months ago and rising and uh, our sister show the yesterday and today podcast is also doing really well on pippa so podcasting is neither cheap nor easy but Pippa makes it a little cheaper and a little easier for you, so definitely check them out if you're interested in starting a podcast. Yeah, and you could also uh, find uh, some little animations and stuff I do on YouTube by searching Third Man Podcast on there. I swear I'm doing a new one. Uh, <laughs> it's It's just taking a long time. Because I, I'm doing frame by frame animation in probably the worst way possible. Anyway, you could also rate, review, and subscribe on yeah. your local podcasting application. iTunes or Apple Podcasts would be great as well. If you could leave a review, uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, leave a review. We we very rarely like sort of lean into this, but hey, I am guilty of it as much as everyone. We listen to shows. I listen to shows every week. The same show every single week. I never leave reviews. What am I doing? I gotta Maybe be. Li- I gotta be leaving reviews. I'm gonna leave a couple tonight, and I hope you'll join me by leaving a review of the Third Bend podcast on whatever podcatcher you're using. is helpful, but iTunes. That really helps, too, because that gets us uh, more visibility there. So, yeah, leave us a review.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, and, a, and a, hopefully a five-star rating if you like what we're doing.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I, I feel like Ben might give us a three, maybe a two. Who knows? If your one-word review of our show was Posers, period, I would be still happy that we got the review. Well, yeah, but also five stars. If you're going to leave us yeah, that, yeah. that, you got to do five stars. If anyone out there leaves us a five-star review and the only word in the review is posers period but it's five stars and you take a screenshot of that and send it in we will mail you something special how about that yeah that's a great idea so (laughs) you heard it here first and hopefully this doesn't bankrupt us uh if you leave a review posers period five stars we'll find something for you we can get something yeah it'll uh, be- we also have merch up there's a there's an ad at the end of the show for our merch site at society six so check that out pick up a t-shirt or a hoodie or a cutting board apparently or a clock whatever he said apparently like he didn't set it up they got some real weird shit on there and uh, i signed us up for all the weirdest shit, so <laughs> get some of that <laughs> yeah it'll be great if you have any questions, feel free to email those in. Questions about the bands or us or what have you. We do listener questions, episodes, and segments. And uh, if you ask it, we will answer it. As always, we'd like to thank Sam Kubert Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song with Third Man, as well as my lovely wife Susanna Roundtree over there for the intros and outches of our program. Say hi, Susanna. Hi,
2: Susanna.
0: <laughs> and, uh, of course, our final thanks must go to our third man this week. Ben Blackwell for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. You're welcome anytime. And we will be sure to send you all our show notes so that you could just go over them, pour over them and tell us how wrong we are about everything. Yep. And until next week, James, I will be looking for a home re-listening to this current episode to make sure it was all real. That sounds great, Paul. And uh, as always, I will be looking for a home on a catwalk posing, because I've got to learn how to be a better poser. <laughs> See you next episode. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at third on Twitter and search the third men on
1: Facebook. See you next time. We're the third I'm going to stop. I'm going to press done now
0: because it seems like we're done with the interview. Yes. Um, Yes. Let's abandon. Abort. 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 I'm hitting the eject button. We're going to go back to the dumb
2: swan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Test. One, two, testing, testicles, taco Tuesday. Um, so you're uh, you're recording on your iPhone, correct?
1: Correct. I'm recording right now. We've been Wonderful. talking for 55 seconds.
0: Oh sh. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, then we'll just jump right into it here. When you do two flights at a time, you get a a two a two tomb tomb buggy. Yeah, tomb buggy, that's the (laughs) word I'm looking for None Uh, of this is going in the show Because we're not talking about pig pigs So let's just (laughs) drop it Aw, a little kicky feet Yeah, she's a little chubbles She's been farting right on my hands (laughs) Did we do David Poe? We did Did I miss it? You did. That's okay. I feel like we were probably pretty low energy for that opening, but I'll make it work. Okay. I'm hitting stop. Okay. My microphone now no, is now unmuted. Nothing but muting. There's nothing now but your mutation. your microphone's muted. Mutation. The key commands evolution. I've muted it again. Uh, well, uh, speaking of uh, music that has been uh, on the back burner but might not be in the future, I don't know what this transition is. I'm it's a bad transition, question. but we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm just, I'm barreling through. Um, mm. Cull- yeah, thanks so much for taking the time, Ben. We really appreciate it.
1: No problem. I've just heard so many factual inaccuracies in the previous episodes of the podcast that I felt like, The running list I was uh, keeping on my phone just needed to be addressed, uh, you know,
0: head on. Uh, Believe it or not, that is the best thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I I feel closer to you than I think any of us have ever felt before, and I think that's just because uh, your dulcet tones are now gracing our ears. Uh, How are you?
1: Happily so. We'll happily fact check this.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic uh i think f- i think a f- <laughs> f***ed <effect. laughs> i'm getting a sponsored ad from a kansas candidate on facebook little do they know i don't live in kansas uh so we have a few to get to here i'm just gonna kind of blow through a lot of these <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, all right, so take one. How about that? I, have, I had another one. I, I had another one. It's a little more high energy. <laughs> okay, t- tell me where you want it to end. <laughs> That's not fun. Done. Stop. Stop. I'm
2: John. Campbell. I'm Bob. I'm John.
0: How are you And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. You can head to our social media pages. That's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast, or facebook.com slash third men. Or you could head to That's society 6com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's societythenumber six.com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family